This is spooky, isn't it? Yeah, did you lose power too? It's weird. I had it. I was reading a book. I'm reading about the Mets from 2015. All of a sudden, nothing. I don't know how the season ends anymore. Oh, right. I don't think about what year it is anymore. When you said 2015, <laughs> I just assumed that was right now. <laughs> There's been a blackout on Mad About Mad About You. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special, very silly edition of Mad About Mad About You. My name is Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. And this is your Mad About You recap podcast where, yeah, there's a blackout on the show. Yeah, both our apartments are completely no power. I don't know what happened. I don't know who's futzing with what. I don't know what's going on in the New York City power grid. But this is no joke. You could see pictures Online, we will post pictures after the fact that we're doing this podcast by candlelight because the show must go on. Neither sleet, nor rain, nor hail, nor a lack of power will in, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, stop, stop. Yeah, you finish it. <laughs> uh, prevent us from our uh, keep, keep us. You're going to get your mail. <laughs> You're going to get your mail. Well, let, let us amend it. You're as likely to get your mail on a snowy day as you are on a okay day. 50-50. That's the millennials postman's creed. Look. You know, I love the post office, but don't get me started. Whether the weather is meh or bay, you're going to get your mail. You don't know what bay is, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I know enough to know what it is and also enough to not use it. Oh, it's a nice word. It's a nice word. You use it all the time? Yeah. You know, it's an acronym. Yeah, I know. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Best achieve excellence. It's about studying. Yeah, it stands okay. for before all else, but <laughs> that doesn't make sense. No. Grammatically. No. People backed into this. It's a reverse engineered acronym. Is it? I think so. It probably really was just like, I call people baby, and then it's just short for baby, bay, and then I'm going to spell it like a hipster, and then, oh, it means something. Yeah. That's a peek behind the bay. I'm stuck on spell it like a hipster. <laughs> you know how hipsters are always spelling Yeah, as opposed to the conventional spelling of bay, which I guess is what, B-A? <laughs> B-A-Y. You've never heard of the bay? That's a word, though. Yeah. It's not you're just part of baby or babe. That's true. That was your setup. So you're saying that because I'm saying that it's an abbreviation what are we for doing? baby. <laughs> we're talking about mad about you. This no powers. <laughs> it's making us loopy. It's really throwing my game. <laughs> well, this is mad about mad about you's 52nd episode. We're going to talk about season three, episode six of mad about you called pandora's box oh yeah that's kind of spooky yeah yeah well do you know anything about pandora's box i know that it's a greek myth and if you open it you can't shut it and all the horrors of the universe will escape so you know everything that it's another (laughs) uh, yeah i yeah why what else you got 
<laughs> no, that's it. That's actually more than I had. <laughs> I know that it in this instance, it means television. I know that based on pictures on Wikipedia, the Greeks had a broad interpretation of the word box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing urns. I'm seeing vases. I'm seeing jars. <laughs> I was going to say Pandora's jar doesn't have much of a, a ring to it. But no, it that does. sounds like slang. That's like <laughs> that you think some hipster saw a box and was just like, that's a jar. Did you have an altercation with a hipster today or something? <laughs> no, nope, you seem preoccupied. You did, I'll tell you what did happen. I worked a box office shift last night uh-huh. as a 21 year old, and it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. He says things like, I would make a joke and it would be a good joke. And rather than laughing or saying, oh, man, that's funny, he would say, chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, to indicate that was good. Yeah. Chill. I know someone like that. And I'm like, yeah. I like it. I'm like, look, I'm sure. I I don't think I like it. I like the rest of him. But really, I'm fully aware that when I say I don't like it, I'm just like, you're younger than me, and I'm going to die someday. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you need to chill. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know See, if he was he affirming says, your joke as much as telling you, you need to relax. <laughs> yeah, well. And stop looking for was, approval from a 21-year-old. <laughs> well, the joke that I told was, knock, knock, who's there? I'm going to die someday. So, I'm going to die someday said, who? Yeah, I said, I'm going to die someday, and you're so much younger than I am that I hate you. And he said, chill. <laughs> Uh, oh, man. What did TV Guide have to say about this episode, John? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, flip through the pages <laughs> of your I, manual. I have it here. First, though, I wanted TV to. TV Guide book. I wanted to say, you pointed this out to me. You know, we've been trying to do this 50 by 50 campaign to get some reviews in. Yeah. And we yeah. got several. Yeah, we did. Thanks, three. everybody. Well, we got three Very, reviews. very sweet of you guys. We got three reviews. And, yep. well, no, three Oh, right. Three, Three reviews comments. and a bunch of ratings. Got, yes. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, everybody. It was... This, they're wonderful to read, and also, I presume it helps iTunes. Sure. It, it helps them help us. Yeah, absolutely. Help me I wanna, help you. I want to further a lie and just be like, it only helps if we get that 50, though. No, just that like- I think that <laughs> is true. 50 is a tremendous milestone, <laughs> and the world changes. <laughs> Pandora's box opens. 50's chill. Yeah, we only have 20 to go. So, uh, you know, we'll plug it again at the end of the show. But it means so much. Thank you so much for doing that. Also, yes, Russ, thank it's, you, everybody. Uh, we forgot to mention it is, I don't know if you're aware, but May is interna- is well regarded and widely known as International Mad About You Month. Of course I know. And the it, whole world is celebrating. This, speaking of acronyms, you wind up with Mad About You, M A Y, and it's May. Anybody who doesn't is being ever anybody who doesn't know that it's International Mad About You Appreciation Month is being willfully ignorant. What's crazy is I couldn't find one thing online about it. Well, blame the world. I have Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, President Trump. Oh, it'll all be in my manifesto. <laughs> my manifesto. You're <laughs> beautiful. You know, anyone who writes a manifesto is probably nuts. You, yeah. You can just yes. take that as a maxim from me. Yeah. 
I don't think you're breaking any news to anybody there, John. Yeah, that is one loaded word. Yeah. Other people have like ideas or reports. Mao had a manifesto. Did he? I think so. He had a book. A manifesto? A manifesto! (laughs) I don't think he did. I don't think he called it that. I think he said, I'm going to get a little book. It's... It's got to be able to fit in a pocket. <laughs> Let's be practical about yeah. this. Everything's going to be very extreme, but very brief. I want it to be read <laughs> so you don't need a title. You just see it, you know? That's my book. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> We're not even going to waste people's time with words on the cover. <laughs> Red book, Mao. <laughs> he was a That's smart That's branding. Guy. That's branding, baby. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's a phenomenal marketer. <laughs> okay, TV Guide. He's a phenomenal marketer. What has it been? Forty-five uh, minutes so far in this thing. That just that just tickled me. Anyway, yes, TV Guide. What happened? Paul opposes getting cable TV in the bedroom until Jamie and Fran hook it up on the sly. There you go. I don't like when the description jumps to the middle of the episode. Sure. What really it starts is the this crux episode? Of the episode. What? I said it's the crux of the episode. Yeah, but it's not really where it starts off. You know what I mean? This all starts because there's a conflict between Paul's work and Jamie's work. Sure. Yes, that is true. So give me that. Let me be surprised so rather, by the cable. Okay. You would rather it say Paul and Jamie have an argument over work. Really, you just want them to cover the cold open since you're very obsessed with them talking about what happens at the beginning of the episode. Well, no, Russ. The cold open is rarely related to the plot of the show, but the first scene is often very related. I'm just trying to understand your rules. I don't think you are. I think you're purposely being argumentative. (laughs) And I won't stand for it. (laughs) I think the audience knows what I mean. (laughs) You think, oh, please stand for it, audience. If you don't (laughs) stand for it, you turn it off. We've signed a blood oath to this thing. You don't have to. (laughs) That's all I have to say (laughs) about the TV Guide thing. Wonderful. I don't, you know. How about I talk about what else was on television? Uh, Yeah, sure. Great. You're watching NBC. Well, this is some kind of coincidence. Yeah, for those of you who haven't put this together yet. (laughs) They haven't put it together because, like I just said, it's a coincidence. (laughs) Here it is, the night that you and I both have blackouts in our home. And on this very night, throughout America, there was a national blackout on NBC. It was NBC's Blackout Thursday. A wonderful gimmick that, yeah, we haven't even said, I didn't say the date of this, but it was November 3rd, 1994, Blackout Thursday. All, well, not all four. Yeah. Shows. Hardly any. On Thursday night. Yeah, hardly any. It stinks, quite honestly, Russ. I'd heard about this. (laughs) I'd heard about this as a kid. Yeah. I forgot it was a thing. I'd always heard about it. I think you've mentioned it on the podcast. We finally get to it. So then I Google it at the end of the show, and I see how pointless, stupid, and meaningless it ultimately was. What are you talking about? It's the the most poorly executed gimmick in the history of television. Why are you thinking this? Uh, We're going to have one contrived plot to get us to a citywide blackout. Then we're going to have one episode of television in the blackout. Then the next show's not going to have anything to do with the blackout. And then we're going to force it into the third show that we're going to cancel a few weeks later. Wow. I can't believe people talk about this. 
I can't believe they talk about it now. Like it was this big moment in TV history. It's borderline nothing. <laughs> it's a good episode of Friends, and that's it. I really hate the stupid blackout thing. But that's just me. I know people like it, so God bless you. Oh, they do like it. I like it. This was so fun, John. It's not. You it, gotta, the you not even blacked out. Blackout that one, at least. It causes the blackout, you idiot. You don't need a thing to cause a blackout. Everyone knows what a blackout is. If a blackout happened on Mad About You, no one would be like, wait, what's going on? Is uh, Are aliens attacking? Is a science fiction? So you don't think it's more fun to have one of the stars of the show cause the blackout throughout all of New York than if they were to just start and have it be like, oh, there's a blackout. If Mad About You was about Paul Reiser, the Con Edison employee who repairs Transformers, then yeah, fine. <laughs> But if you're just going to jerk a cable on a roof and the whole city's going to go out, nah. <laughs> I hated so, it. I can tell. This is so funny. Did you hate the episode also? like, Or do you just hate the gimmick? I didn't love the episode, but I really hated the gimmick once I really found out what it was. That's so If you can't get funny. Seinfeld on board, just don't do it. It's not that good a gimmick. You can't get Seinfeld on board with anything. Yeah, so then don't do it, period. You, but that, why? That's what you pay. It was fun. That's it what you pay fun. for Seinfeld. You want it Seinfeld? Was... Don't do the gimmick. You want to do the gimmick? Lose Seinfeld. Why are those the choices? Well, clearly they weren't, but I think they should have been. Yeah. <laughs> why not do three out of four and have it be wildly successful? Was it? Yes. Yeah, but was it wildly successful yes. because this was the most successful night of television in general? Or... People said that I remember this is when musty TV started to hit its stride. I'm reading from an Esquire.com recap of the oh, night well. because they did a recap back then. No, this was written. Uh, they did it. It was released November 3rd, 2014, 20 years after. Oh, oh sure. Rose colored glasses. Then again. Well, look, it may be rose sounds to me glasses. like a journalist poking around in the dark. <laughs> oh, I like that. I do like that you're like, look, I don't like I don't like Blackout Thursday, but I love Blackout metaphor and imagery. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> no, honestly, it would have been great if Mad About You, all the shows should be in a blackout. I agree. I would they even tried. forgive Seinfeld if the other three shows were during a blackout, but there weren't. They were. Russ, Mad About You caused the blackout. That's not satisfying. You want to see people in the blackout. That's the whole that point. That is fully satisfying because they caused the blackout that's the whole point all right look i'll say this would it have been more exciting if they had caused the blackout at the beginning of the episode and the rest of that episode was in the blackout i mean causing a blackout sure. doesn't make any sense so it would be hard to get over that but yes the blackout should have occurred at the beginning of the show if this is what we're doing let us maximize our blackout time what if we recorded this podcast at the very end, turned the lights out and said, oh, we lost power. <laughs> that would be stupid. Right, it I, would be stupid <laughs> and a waste of an opportunity. All right. I guess if you're saying, look, that's not what happened right now. Your apartment lost power. My apartment lost power. That's the truth. This isn't some stuff. <laughs> but I suppose that if we were 
recording this, and then at the end of the podcast recording, we lost power, it would be less satisfying than this, which is wildly satisfying. Yeah, it would be a waste. <laughs> right? It would be a waste. Do you know what episode of Seinfeld it was? I don't care. Which one was it? <laughs> Any of the good ones, I'm sure. It was the gymnast. Oh. Yeah. Where George George eats an eclair out of the garbage. Yeah, that one taught me uh, about uh, gallstones. There you go. I didn't know what they were. And now you do? Yeah. Kramer scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Madman of the people. Do you know what happened in that one? I heard something like uh, someone gets arrested for looting incorrectly, right? Yeah, the madman. Madman gets arrested for looting. Dabney Coleman spends the night in the slammer. I mean, that's not a bad idea. I'll give you that. But No, it's not. Is it still the blackout during that? Yes. Okay, so yeah, they got that's two why. That's why he's... The, you got three out of four. No, Mad About You doesn't count. <laughs> Madman of the People... The blackout doesn't end, right? During it, or does it? Well, you know what I'm remembering now? The This is going to drive you crazy. Yeah, I feel like it is. Doesn't it end right as that episode starts? The blackout ends at the end of Friends. Yeah. Do you remember? The yes, lights come that's back right. on and Rachel is kissing Paolo. Yeah, so this is just the stupidest thing in the history of television. <laughs> it the worked. idea that you would call it Blackout Thursday is so insane. It was a tremendous success. Friends gained 5 million viewers from the week before. Seinfeld's blackout boycotting the gymnast saw a 2.5 million viewer bump. It was the second most watched primetime program of the week behind Home Improvement, which had no blackout to speak of. Wait, is this because people knew they were advertising the blackout? Yes. I would have been really mad if I'd seen ads for this, and then this is what they gave. (laughs) It was so much fun. I lived it. It was so fun. Yeah. If I've got rose-colored glasses, you've got glaucoma shades on, and you're looking back through that, because there's no way that if you were actually doing this, you would eat this up if you were. I don't think so. It's it's an okay episode of Mad About You with a contrived blackout that leads to one good episode of Friends, then that's it. Do you want to just end the podcast episode right now? No, I mean, I will talk about the Mad About I'm just saying this blackout thing's stupid. (laughs) Great. Well, what was in the news? Uh, Is that all there is to say about the blackout? Yeah, basically. It was very successful. After this, we went to Friends where Chandler gets trapped in an ATM vestibule with Jill Goodacre. I, mean, what, I love that episode so much. I also love that episode. Look it was how really, much really fun, fun you can have in the dark. Yeah, I agree. They didn't do that on this and week's it, episode of Mad About You. No, they had fun and then they caused the darkness. That's not plot is not as fun. I will give you that. Well, that's all it is. Watching how a blackout happens is just plot. It's boring. Okay. All right. You win. I didn't have fun. Also, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know this was blackout night. No, you didn't. I kept on giving you hints, and I kept on being like, hey, man, the, the, something's coming. And you were like, I don't know yeah, what stop. it could Please be. don't call and here anymore. For you, to be like, <laughs> for you to be so miserable by it really makes me laugh. Well, yeah, we put two, Christine and I put two and two together and then Googled it. <laughs> Once the city lost power in the most absurd way possible. <laughs> All right. Now tell me what happened in the news. From WNBC TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough. 
and Pat Harper. Oh, we got some goodies this week. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Dateline. Do, 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 do. Go ahead. Stopping time, if just for an hour, to everything there is a season, and it's ours to fall back. This headline's insane. Sorry. Stupid. This is stupid. <laughs> what a dumb headline. It Why is. does anybody read articles? It is too long. I agree. <laughs> this is an article about the guy who's charged with updating the 867 clocks in New York City subway stations during daylight savings. This is the best. I want this. Where is this documentary? Oh, great. Call Russ. Yeah. We'll have to add it to the list of documentaries that Paul Buckman should have made. Mm-hmm. Do you know the history of daylight savings time, like the real history? Because everyone always says the farmer's this, the farmer's that. Everyone always says the farmer's this, the farmer's that. <laughs> no, what, t- tell me what really happened. <laughs> In 1918, the government (laughs) introduced daylight savings time under which clocks are turned ahead one hour in the spring and back one hour in the fall to conserve fuel and power during World War I. Did you know that? Oh, it's a World War I thing. I didn't know it was a World War I thing. I did think that I thought that you were going to come back around to like the government did it in order to help the farmers. I like I thought <laughs> No, this is I what's funny. That, the farmers I hated thought that it. you were thinking just like I thought that you were gonna be like that you thought that daylight savings time was like a farmer's rebellion and they were just like, All the farmers around the country, set your clocks back. We're doing this ourselves. <laughs> that the government had nothing to do with it. And then you just read this and you were like, Did you know it came from Washington? Like <laughs> That was the big twist. <laughs> no, I didn't know about World War One. That's, That's interesting. Right. And it was so unpopular with farmers that the law was repealed. Really? But then in World War II, it came back, presumably for the same reasons, to conserve fuel and power. Wow. I love it. I love getting the extra hour of light, and I hate it when everybody makes such a big deal out of the extra hour of sleep. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How come there was no daylight savings Thursday? That would have been a real thrill. (laughs) (laughs) Except all the episodes happen before 2 a.m., so nobody changes their time. <laughs> and then at the very end of Mad Men at the People, they say, Oh, whoops, it's actually three. <laughs> My buddy and I once wrote a sketch called Daylight Savior. It was an action movie that took place on Daylight Savings Time. That's funny. Yeah, the title was the funniest part. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> As for Mr. Santiago, he began making the rounds of subway stations on Wednesday following a. This is where the Times really drives me crazy. Following a time honored routine. Oh, boy. Resetting clocks hanging from the ceilings and station after station from downtown Brooklyn to the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He loosened a couple of screws, opened the fluorescent lighted face, turned the hands back, swung the clock shut and tightened the screws. He left the busiest stations like 59th Street on the IND line until late yesterday. He said if we put him back too early, we had too many complaints from passengers. If passengers are confused by Mr. Santiago's clock changing, so is he. He says, sometimes you look at your watch, you look at the clock, you look at your watch again, and you just figure you're in another time zone. A couple (laughs) of times. (laughs) It's hard to know if he's joking or not. (laughs) This is the problem with print. (laughs) A couple of times, he said, he almost went home an hour early. But he realized what time it really was before it was too late. 
Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you could have gotten canned. There's a clock at my job that never gets changed. And oh. so right now it's it's an hour slow. Oh, that drives me crazy. It drives me a little crazy for the first week or two. And now I'm just like, oh, there's an hour slow. But then when we switch back, I'm not used to it being right. And so I always think that. Yeah, of course. Like the end of the day will come and it'll be like you know, the clock will say five o'clock time to go. Ah, oh, it's really four. Yeah, of course. It will make me crazy. Yeah. Get rid of the clock or keep it up to date. Boom. This week, the, the six member clock changing team. Spent a total of 144 hours resetting the clocks. That works out to one-sixth of the 867 hours saved by all their rewinding. <laughs> and yes, the clock changers synchronize watches. It's the first thing we do, Mr. Nash said. On Mr. Wow. Nash's wrist, just a regular Timex. But Mr. Santiago has a choice. A golden black Casio with a bezel, a Seiko, a Citizen, and two Rolexes. My wife bought oh, me one, goodness. he said. A thousand dollars. The other one, I paid $2,000. But the Rolex, as he said, lose a minute and a week. Do you think that's true? Maybe. I don't know why he'd lie. That seems bad. It doesn't seem very good. Yeah, no. Ouch. I had my high school English teacher was a real know-it-all, smarter than everybody, smartest guy in the room type of guy. I loved him. But he said, like, one day we asked him what time it was. And he's like, let me check my chronometer. And he looks at his wrist. And we're like, your chronometer? You mean your watch? And he's like, this is not a watch. It's Swiss made. It's yada, yada, yada. It's exact. It is time. It's oh, and like this whole thing. And then he gave us the time. And then we asked him what time it was like six months later. And he was just like, ah, it's about uh, five after, seven after. We're like, you don't know? He's like, yeah, I set it for uh, daylight savings. And so it's a little bit off. It's a little bit slow. I was like, your chronometer is just a watch now, basically. <laughs> Oh, with your love. Swiss BS. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, I, I just decided to wind it. <laughs> They're neutral, Russ. <laughs> oh, and this guy, Paul Ayabani, will go from daylight to standard time without a screwdriver. He's the instrument technician who resets the Metropolitan Life clock 52 stories above 23rd Street. Wow. He will turn the clock off and back on an hour later. That's how they do it. Interesting. That's kind of intense, too. Yes. Having to be that precise and just chill. Yeah. He says he relies on a $10 Casio wristwatch. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And it's also crazy how, like, how I don't think about that anymore since everybody's everybody gets the time off their phones and that is standardized. Right. You know, I know that that is precise. Yeah, you're right. It comes from space. Yeah, there's no more minute off, you know, two minutes slow. Yeah, this comes from fast. Paul's Casio. Yeah, there's no more. I set my watch 10 minutes fast so that I'm always on time for things. Oh, and listen to this. This community is clock conscious, says Hank Salters, MetLife's operation <laughs> manager. If oh we're God, off a Hank few Salters minutes, is a great name. If, they're, if we're off a few minutes, they inundate our security people with calls. <laughs> <laughs> great. Great, great, great. I mean, that means they're calling the operator? Uh, yeah. And saying, put me so. through to the MetLife building? Let me talk to the clock, man. And then saying, your clock's wrong? Put Big Ben on the phone. Very good. <laughs> oh, you would have been a lot of fun in the 90s. <laughs> I wasn't. But... <laughs> Dateline. 
<laughs> Go ahead. Neighborhood report. Gramercy. Potent odor of curry causes row over restaurant. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is quite the headline. It sure is. And this is quite the story. This is the news we cover. It's like small town news, but with New York specifics, which are always crazy. I love it. A newly emerging restaurant row on 20th Street includes notables like Gramercy Tavern, Patria, which I've never heard of, Silver Swan, never heard of, Chutney Mary, never heard of, and Hamachi. <laughs> but Gramercy Tavern. Have you heard nice. of that one? No, you know Hamachi? No, I haven't. You just didn't mention that whether or not you've heard of it. <laughs> but among the residents of that block between Broadway and Park and Avenue, one of the most discussed restaurants, and surely the most cussed, ugh, is the unheralded Indian restaurant, Palki. Palki has broken just about every city rule book since it opened in the spring at 27 East 20th Street, angry neighbors say. Uh-oh. Councilman Antonio Pagan's office, which has been pursuing complaints against the restaurant, says it has been cited for violations by buildings, fire, landmarks, and environmental agencies. <laughs> the biggest complaint comes from the adjacent tenants who are fuming over the heat, noise, smoke, and worst of all, they say, the overpowering odor of curry that emanate from an illegal exhaust from the kitchen. Oh, boy. <laughs> Neighbors say that the pipe by law should extend above the roof of the four-story building. Instead, it rises only a couple feet above a one-story extension, so fumes waft past nearby apartments. <laughs> this guy, whose last name is Schleppinghoff, which is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> says i can't open my window or sit on my deck Ugh. <laughs> he's an interior designer who lives as they say just a few feet from the vent <laughs> as they say you know that phrase yeah <laughs> uh. it's smoky an oily greasy smoke and very very mal, mal malodorous thank you I don't like cooking smells of any sort, and this is constant. It goes into fabrics and permeates. Everything reeks of curry. The smell lingers even when the vent is off. I've had people come to visit who gag and say, let's go out somewhere. I like that this story, this is just like, so some reporter was just like, hi, yes, sir. So I hear your apartment smells. Smells, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell me about it? Oh. Use as many words as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Schleppinghoff was it? <laughs> Saif Khan, an owner of Palki, said, quote, we are working on it and it will be corrected soon. <laughs> we are working on it, but it's difficult to correct a problem caused by an illegal vent <laughs> that we built on purpose. <laughs> We're working on it, but we're not because we don't want to. Residents say they tried to be good neighbors by finding a contractor and even offering to pay much of the cost for a proper vent, a few thousand dollars. Quote, we're all trying to be cooperative and to show goodwill. I even used to have dinner there once in a while, Mr. Schleppinghoff said, who then went on to receive the Nobel Prize for eating out. Wow. <laughs> Some of my best friends are curry dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Jerry from the restaurant. <laughs> the curry-scented clouds have prompted some tenants to withhold rent, seek reductions, wow. or threaten to leave. It's the most talked-about restaurant on this block for people within nose shot of its vents. 
These are flagrant oh, violations. Writer's very proud of nose shot. That's a quote. It's a quote. Oh wow! The landlord's very proud of nose shot. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. And the writer was like, hey, "You might have put that in." He's what like, "I, I insist." <laughs> anyway, they're out of business now. <laughs> right. Yeah, they didn't last. <laughs> and I have one. Fo- what time is it? Oh, what a loaded question, huh? That's a great point. I have one final story. Yeah, I'll squeeze it in. Dateline. Okay. Do, do, do. Go ahead. Jack Gasnick's land fever. This is another character I stumbled upon. It probably began in 1955 on the day he hooked a large carp in the hurricane-flooded basement of his east side hardware store. Oh, my goodness. Suddenly we're in a Hemingway novel. But it's in the middle of the basement of a hardware store in, the, in Midtown East in the 50s. Very, yeah. is, isn't that weird? That is weird. Anyway, it says this is <laughs> that is weird. Hemingway never experienced that. That doesn't sound like him. Weird. Anyway, go on. Yeah, and he well, and he experienced a lot of things, but this a guy's got a leg up. <laughs> he got he got chased by a bull through Christides too. <laughs> and uh, never mind. <laughs> this guy's got a six-toed cat up. Anyway, go ahead. Hemingway had a six-toed cat. Yeah, it was one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> He said, this is how we fell in love with nature and decided on what is surely to be one of the most offbeat real estate careers in the history of the city. Buying up odd, unimproved scraps of land and preserving them as tiny havens. He began collecting New York City land in midlife when he was a plumbing supply store owner. Went to his beloved Ruth and the father of two. Blah, blah, blah. Now, so, oh, sorry. Now 74 years old, widowed. <laughs> oh, and married again. Uh-oh. Wow. Out of the plumbing business and minus one daughter who died too young. Oh, this is a real roller coaster, this story. I don't know how to read it. Mm-hmm. He's all back divested himself from his empire. At its height, it came to 28 plots. He has sold or given away all but four. Quote, it's like collecting stamps, he says. Once you got the fever, you got the fever. Holy moly. So it says he's a fixture at land auction since 1970. His quarry was surplus land, generally scoffed at by developers, with measurements like 7 by 127 feet, left over from surveying errors. Spending $50 to $250 at a time, he bought strange-shaped lots in every borough. There was waterfront, there was street side, there was the tiny lot behind Louis Armstrong's house in Queens, the swampy plot in Jamaica Bay, where he once waded out and filled a pail with delicate seahorses. It's a weird, it's a weird little. That's quite a specific. Are all seahorses delicate or just these? Most seahorses are made of armor. These are <laughs> delicate. Yeah, war seahorse. No, sea war horse. <laughs> sea war horse. A historic African-American cemetery on Staten Island and the parcel next to Fort Tryon Park were digging once to dislodge well-established rats beneath a tree. He unearthed two ragged red uniforms thought to belong to British soldiers from the Revolutionary War. What? Can you believe And this? also, what was he trying to do? Basically, he was, <laughs> he was kicking out the rats who were living under the tree. Yeah, I thought you said that. Yeah, he's a slumlord. Just like, <laughs> just like, yeah, what a strange, just like, I was trying to get rid of these tree rats, and I found a red coat. What a weird Mad Lib. <laughs> huh. What a weird mad life, man. <laughs> he wrote an article 
blah, 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 blah. It was in the family hardware business, Gasnick Supply at 992 Second Avenue, that he learned the value of a dollar and he learned to deal with customers like Catherine Hepburn, quote, mm. knew her well. <laughs> oh, my. Marilyn Monroe, quote, we used to play pool together. And Irving Berlin, who was, quote, the stingiest man I ever saw. That's anti-Semitic. Yeah, 100%. I hate this guy. <laughs> I hate this guy. Yeah. Once he acquired a plot of land, he spent weekends driving out to visit it and clean it up. He took his family for picnics and in certain spots. Sometimes he sold or swapped a plot or two. He counted grapevines, chickweed, milkweed, dandelions, ferns, mustard, laurel, and wild tobacco among his tenants. He saw swallows and starlings roosting on his property, an occasional turtle, flying squirrels, and other wildlife far more diverse than what the typical city dweller's smells, sees, and hears. He'd harvest apples and mushrooms, a lone farmer surrounded by the concrete jungle. Wow. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. It kind of made me want to, I mean, you can't now, I guess. But I'm I, sure you could. I'm sure you could figure out a way to do this. You think you could buy land in, anywhere in New York for that kind of money still? I don't think you could buy, like, this is a weird thing to say since we just read that he did, but I don't think you could buy that kind of land in New York then. I think this guy just found hmm. it. You know what I mean? I guess he went to these land auctions. Maybe we should go to a land auction. Yeah. John, we should definitely go we to a land We should go auction. to a land auction. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to a, I've, all, I've been saying for years, I'm going to go to a land auction. I never do. Well, let's carpe that diem. <laughs> the last lot is still an occasional picnic destination, a section along the Great Kill at Staten Island, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Russ, is a big garbage dump, right? What, all of Staten Island? Oh, very funny. No, the Great Kill. <sighs> I don't know. He says it even has an old house on it, a captain's house, deserted, of course, that I'll never sell. Certainly not to a Jew. <laughs> I hate this guy. I hate this guy. <laughs> I do too. Uh, that's all the news is fit to print. Beautiful, John. Job well done. Well, let's get into everybody's favorite episode. Yes, Pandora's it was directed by Box. David Steinberg, the Jewish Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. This guy's the new BK. Yeah. He's doing them all. Barnett Kelman, we hardly knew ye. Yeah, I we guess, miss, you know. We miss once you every day, bud. You find a chemistry that works and you stick with it. Yeah. Just like with sports. Just just like with sports. <laughs> and it was written by, we got a new writer, mm. Victor Fresco. Oh, Quite a very name. interesting. Created, you might have heard of it, the Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix. Have you seen that show? Oh, wow. I have not seen it. I've seen the ads for it. Yeah, it's nuts. It looks pretty nuts. Yeah, it's like zombies. People eat people, right? Suburban zombies, yeah. Yeah. Timothy Oliphant's wife, Drew Barrymore, I think, is a zombie. So they have to get dead people so she can eat. That sounds right. And it's a comedy. Or am I wrong about that? Yeah, it's a comedy. Great. Also, Sean Saves the World. He wrote on Dinosaurs, Evening Shit. This guy's TV resume is a mile long. We are in the hands of a veteran, my friends. Wonderful. A true veteran. Happy Veterans Day. Hey, that is... that. uh, That is, of course, in International Mad About You Month. And... uh, I think we all know where the name derives itself from. <laughs> the wonderful veteran staff writers. <laughs> We've said it before. We'll say it again. Thank you for your service. Troops. Thank you for your service. We are very grateful. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wonderful. So we start this episode with a cold open. Paul and Jamie are watching TV. We hear that 
fishing is on. And they watch a few seconds of it. And then Jamie says, or uh, Paul says, rather, we really got to find the remote. They do not like watching fishing. That was kind of a stock joke back in the 90s. Well, if you like that, get ready, because this one's full of them. (laughs) We come back from... My trope alert was going off so many times I had to take the batteries out. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You'll have to let me know. I like this episode, by the way. You sound lukewarm at best. Yeah, that's about right. Lukewarm at best. Fair enough. We come back and Jamie is deciding, or rather, uh, yeah, she's deciding with Mr. Wicker between having Jamie Buckman Public Relations or Jamie Buckman Public Relations Inc. on her new business cards. Yeah, what do you think? Public Relations. Me too. Inc. sounds cheap. Yeah. It sounds like you're trying to put on professionalism. Word of advice, Jamie. Lose the ink. It's cleaner. Are you trying to do a little play on ink stains? I wasn't. I was trying to do a very timely The Social Network joke. Wow, boy, did you fail. <laughs> Even knowing the re- what you were referencing, it's still, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> With drop the Facebook, just Facebook, it's cleaner. Yeah, I guess that must be a line from that movie. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Oh, my gosh. You love Sorkin. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, and me, you son of a bitch. I love Sorkin. <laughs> So we come back and Paul arrives. He is a finalist for a film on the history of television. He enters and he almost trips over a box, which is on the floor because, yeah, Jamie's got her old PR stuff. She's getting back into it. So Mr. Wicker is helping her take all the boxes out. What a super. How about that, huh? And it turns out that the Delahanties live in the building. The Delahanties are also in charge of Harrison Delahanty is in charge of the Grant board i guess well he sits on the board of several grant committees one of which is the one that paul is up for because his name appears in the letter that paul is holding yes correct so the delahanties must be loaded and just give money all over the place and they sit on boards and they're patrons they're patrons of the arts there you go and they live in paul and jamie's building of course they do of course they do mr wicker wants to set up a meeting between the two of them And uh, hey, Paul, if you can, help my wife out. And Paul decides to tip him for his troubles. She's on another world at Soap Up on Friday. No kidding? Oh, yeah. She got a line and everything. It's the first time. Make sure you watch. We will. Great. Absolutely. Hey, Mr. Whitney, thank you. That's that's very nice of you. Wow, 50 bucks. What did I do? (laughs) I love that joke. (laughs) Love that bit. That is a great super bit. Great joke. We've heard about his acting wife before, haven't we? Yes, we've heard about this NyQuil commercial that they mentioned. Yes, in an earlier episode. Yes. She booked a NyQuil commercial. She was great. And now she's moving up in the world. I love that we are legitimately tracking the career of Mr. Wicker's wife. Yeah, this might be the strongest through line yet. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Though we do see her back later in the episode within the episode in the in this right. in her gig and it does not look like the woman who played his wife a couple episodes ago. Correct. I think that's why we only see her back. Right. And they obviously had her wear a wig for yes. the gig. Yes. Yeah. It might have been Paul Reiser. I was thinking it felt like it could have been a guy goofing. <laughs> but none of them were credited. No. So then I thought maybe that's a real soap opera clip. No. No? Absolutely. 100% no. Why wouldn't they be credited then? Because it was too small or... No, or there's no such know. thing as too small. Or only big, there's only big, ac- big actors. No... Uh, uh, Is that how it goes? Yeah, there's only big actors. 
There's no small parts, only big actors. <laughs> wait, that is. Wait, what do they say? That, no small parts, only small actors. Yeah. What does that mean? Oh, <laughs> if you care, then you're a small actor. Yes, I mean yes, you're small in character. Why not yeah. do the positive and say if you don't care, you're a big actor? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're right. They should say there's no such thing as a small part. If you don't care, you're a big actor. <laughs> or everyone's a big actor. So uh, what street do you want me to left you off on? 31st and 5th? What is that, the a quote from the newsroom <laughs> that you love? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so Mr. Wicker leaves. Mm-hmm. Jamie is walking around the apartment. She's getting work done. And Ira is her only client. So she is trying to work at home. But then Paul sits down. He also needs to get some work done at home. And Paul's work involves watching television as he's trying to do a documentary on the history of television. Yeah, he's got to put together a, an oral presentation for next week. That's the next round of the grant. Yes. So they are at a bit of an impasse, the two of them. We've This is a new scenario. We've, yes. we've seen when one is up and the other's down. We've seen mm -hmm. the conflict. And now we get to see they're, they're never in sync, you know? Right. Now we get to see yeah. them both at peak productivity for the first time. That's true. Yeah. So Paul puts on TV. He puts Andy Griffith on. So Jamie. Well, this to get is a beautiful little as... joke. Tell me about it. Well, he says she's saying you're just watching TV. And he says, I'm studying the history of a culture. This is important research. And then immediately. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. I'm not proud. I'm not pleased with that whistle, John. I am. That's a great TV joke. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I the joke is great. My personal whistle, the one we all just heard together, thumbs down. Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> one thing, I yes. wanted a sweepstakes. Oh, what you got? Well, her t-shirt seemed very real and specific to me. Am I crazy? Okay. It didn't strike me as such, but all right. I bet we have some clever listeners who could identify it, and I would love to know. Okay. The same way they did with that pinball machine. That was amazing. Sweepstakes. Let us know what that t-shirt is. At the very least, you'll win a shout-out on the next episode. In fact, at the very most, you'll win a shout-out on our <laughs> next episode. <laughs> Unless Russ and I pick up a weird plot of land. <laughs> if we do, it's yours. It's yours. Rats so and all. Paul has rats. <laughs> you could get rats, you can get a red coat. Who knows? So Paul solves the problem by plugging in some headphones. So he can listen to television as Jamie works. Wireless headphones. Wireless headphones, yes. Pretty Very modern. chic for back then. Yeah. yeah. So he talks too loudly to Jamie. See, this is good. You're working, I'm working, nobody's getting hurt. I mean, this and then is he tropes. laughs too loud. Yes, for sure. But I like it. Right. I like people so, talking yeah. with headphones. I think it's funny. For sure. So that's the night. The night ends with Paul plugging in headphones and listening to the sounds of the television through his headphones so that Jamie can get work done. Well, here's one thing I didn't care for. Mm -hmm. He's laughing very loud. Once he puts the headphones on, he laughs very loudly at Andy Griffith. Mm -hmm. We generally don't see him laugh at anything, really. Nothing. He loves Andy Griffith. So it's a, it's a little hard for me to buy all of a sudden. Sure. That's all. Well, have you seen Andy Griffith? It's hilarious. I don't know if you're being sarcastic or what your, what your agenda is here. I love Andy Griffith. <laughs> I love Does it. Andy laugh Griffin. out loud funny? If I'm perfectly honest, I tried watching it recently, not so much. Well, there you go. But some parts, certainly. So your answer is no and also yes? On occasion. Okay. 
You ever hear of The Gray? No, I haven't. It's an Alec Baldwin movie written by David Mamet, but it also happens to be true. Isn't that about a bear? No, that's something else. That's a different no, Alec Baldwin. No, Anthony Hopkins. Movie. That's right. Anyway, so the next day happens. And Alec Baldwin or Anthony Hopkins? I think it might be the two of them, actually. So it's the next day, and Jamie is on the phone with a client, and Paul is watching TV with the volume up. Uh, he has learned nothing from what they did just the scene slash night before. Okay, so this is where I really start to get annoyed. Yes. He got a grant. Uh-huh. Or potentially. He's in the second round. Mm-hmm. Presumably, he sent them something a little longer and more rich than, I'm going to do a documentary on the history of TV. Right, right, sure. So presumably, the appropriate research wouldn't simply be putting the television on at any arbitrary moment and seeing what's on forever. It would be researching and going to the library or the right. Paley Center or some sure. NYU archives. No, no, he's just he's got to watch TV morning, noon, and night. It, what is he writing on his pad of paper with the TV on? Oh, Andy Griffith Show. This is the episode where Opie goes to the watering hole and Don Knotts is there. Opie's a kid, doesn't make any sense. You don't know anything about Andy Griffith, yet you denigrate it. Are you telling me that a kid can't go to a watering hole? No, that would be a big episode. <laughs> not, uh, You know what? Probably not in Mayberry. I just noticed. You're absolutely right. The, the, the angle of my phone, I must look to you like I'm in a Spike Lee movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an aggressively low angle. Everything. <laughs> like a Mac Michael Rappaport from Bamboozled. <laughs> Show me your love and hate rings. <laughs> So, I don't know. This is just the whole premise is falling apart for me now, you know? Okay. So, this episode begins its descent immediately. For me, yes. Gotcha. So, they take turns turning the TV on and off. Mm -hmm. Jamie says, I'm working here. Paul says, so am I. Jamie says, can you please do something else? Paul says, okay, fine. Can I use the phone, please? I have to call Ira. This is frustrating as she is on the phone. So, she gets off the phone with her client. Paul calls Ira. We learn that... Jamie was talking to Ira on the phone. <laughs> John is having fun with camera angles. And Forgive me. Twiddling his fingers <laughs> in my face. It looks cool. Yeah, so Ira is her client. We got it. <laughs> and yes, it, it is funny that the goofball Ira is doing some real business. Yes, for sure. So they had agreed that they can't afford for Jamie to get her own office, which Jamie had recommended. And Paul doesn't want to have a TV in the bedroom. And he thinks it's a bad idea. Yes. Which I am inclined to agree with. This has been both a good idea and a bad idea in over the course of my relationship. For a long time, we were like, no TV in the bedroom. We go in, that room is for sleeping and connection, and we don't need or want the distraction of television, right. and that'll be what we do. And we did that for a bunch of years, and then we were like, we got to watch some TV in bed. <laughs> it's very and fun, I guess, huh? It's great. It's a lot of fun. Haven't gone back. Probably looking to upgrade what kind of TV we get <laughs> in the bedroom. <laughs> You're going to have a better one in there than in the living room. Yeah, right now all we've got is an Apple TV. We may be like, hey, can we get like some sort of additional cable package so that we can oh, watch wow. more stuff? Sure. So that's where we are. How about you? TV in the bedroom? No, I don't think I ever want that. I tell you, once you go, you'll never come back. I mean, I watch TV in bed sometimes on my laptop. I wish that the look I just gave you could come through on an audio medium. What, I'm a hypocrite? 
Yeah, you have a TV <laughs> no, in your Russ, bed. Russ, you I would jackass. never. I would never have a TV in my bedroom. Oh, I'd watch it on my computer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, to the point where, like, when I first discovered Homeland, I think I stayed up till 6 a.m. watching it in bed. <laughs> You're the worst person I know. <laughs> but it's not on I TV. I didn't realize that you were this kind of guy. It's not on TV. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a computer. It is a computer. Oh, man. So <laughs> Paul, on his way through the apartment, trips over a box on the floor for the second time in the episode, and he says, get me, I'm Dick Van Dyke. That was a uh, sweet spot. Very fun. Very fun. All of these boxes, they're really, really empty. They sure are. <laughs> All these boxes full of Jamie's stuff just have no weight. None of the actors well, are giving any of the boxes any weight, and also none of the set people are giving the boxes any weight. Russ. These are empty. She empty was unpacking them. You know what? Fair enough. I'll allow it. They're empty. They're just not collapsed yet. Well, then she needs to be quicker about that sort of thing. Well, sure. I think that's his point. Yeah. Team Paul, once again. I love the expression, get me. He's the only person I've ever heard say it. It's very, I feel like Mr. Lodge said it in an Archie comic or something. It's very old fashioned. <laughs> so Jamie says, You hate this, don't you? Paul says, I don't really love it so much. That is important later. Oh, so Paul I didn't realize. Is against, yeah, Paul, we learn, is against the principle of paying extra for a TV in the bedroom. He thinks it should be like water or electricity. You don't pay per faucet. You don't pay per outlet. This is some very Makes strong observational humor. Absolutely. He thinks it would change everything. He says something very, I love what he says. He says, you may know you better than me, and you may even know me better than me, but I know us better than you, and believe me, it's a bad idea. Yeah, that is interesting. She knows like individuals. That. He knows groups. Not only that, but like, she knows individuals, he knows them. Right. Yeah. I never thought about the couple in that respect, but yeah. As a I'm third like, perspective. Yeah, he probably, yeah. If, if uh, As a singular third perspective. Who do you think would do better on the newlywed game? You or me? I meant Paul or Jamie. But yeah, let's do you but or me. But what do you mean? Don't they both go on? Yeah, Yes, but who would score better? Well, it sounds like Jamie. Do you agree with that? It sounds like Jamie. Do you think that it would be Jamie? Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> How should I know? Hey, remember a couple of minutes ago when I told you to yes and, but it was about some nonsense, and then I brought up a genuinely interesting topic, and you literally said, I don't care? Uh, yes and simply means to support. I'm <laughs> okay. supporting you with truth. <laughs> I think she's. I think she would. Great. He doesn't even remember what fish he likes. You know what I mean? Like, he can't even remember what to order at a restaurant. That's true. Yes, I think I agree with you. Right. Was that so hard, (laughs) Chuck? A little. Oh, man. (laughs) So, Paul, at that point, Fran shows up. And Paul has the bright idea to borrow Fran's apartment in order to watch TV. Again, he's solving problems. It's definitely weird. It literally goes without being said. Yeah, it's just a weird he, he just, thing. Yeah, he decides amongst himself, hey, can I watch TV in your apartment? And he conveys that without literally without asking her, just like kind of backdoor asking. And she's just like, yeah, sure. Here are the keys to my apartment. Go and watch TV there. Yeah. I, I think if I were a friend, I would say go to the Paley Center. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if it existed yet, but surely Paul has access to some sort of archives in in New York. He's got to. Also, what happened to your studios? Your studio. I was just gonna say you've got a you've got a place to do this. Maybe he doesn't. You think? You I think don't know. If, downsizing. I don't know if we ever go back there. I think we do. We have more. Don't we have more? Uh, Stephen Wright. I don't know. Oh yeah, we do, don't we? I well, think so. I know several of our listeners know, and this is That's making true. them crazy. That's true. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Selby to come back. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that, man. <laughs> Jamie asks Fran if she and Mark used to have cable in the <laughs> in the bedroom. I just laughed because I was thinking about how often Mark comes up in this show, even after being written off the show. Yes. He was a real presence. Yes. And yet. Here we are, middle of season three. We haven't seen Mark in, you know, we saw Mark two times in the past season. Yeah. And he's still, she's still, hey, what about Mark? Did you guys have a thing? At no point do we get, hey, so where's Selby? What's up with Selby? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They're making it clear that there are some characters that they can keep in the system and others that they do not want to. Yeah. So she asks Fran, did you and Mark used to have cable in your bedroom? And uh, Fran says, yeah, we had cable everywhere. Jamie asks, wasn't it expensive? And Fran says, only if you tell them. So they were stealing cable. And we cut to Fran on the roof this of the apartment. This is where it's like insane now. I, uh, yeah. Fran's dangling, dangling a cable. long cable cord down to Jamie, who's on her fire escape. Mm-hmm. Because Fran knows how to hook up cable on the roof of any New York building. And how you do it is by dangling yep. a cable. Yep. And by taking it in through the window. And presumably every one of the buildings has got a legal cable, right? Except there's only yep. one cord dangling through outside the building. There's not a bunch of cords. <laughs> like nothing yeah, makes sure. sense anymore in this episode. It makes sure. me crazy. Another thing that doesn't make sense happens right here, which is Fran in her dangling of the cable. The cable snakes into the open shower window of the Brits next door. Yeah, it's a very big window for a shower. Yeah, if you had a window. Do you have a window in your shower? My bathroom is so tiny that, you, sure. Sure. <laughs> the window is shower adjacent. Yeah, I've, yes, there have been times when there has been a window in my shower. At no point would I ever keep that window open. Oh, what are you, crazy? I always kept it open. Oh, yeah? Yeah. No one can see. Wow. No, but you never know when a cable's going to go snaking in there. That's true. But it wouldn't, because that is the most absurd thing that's ever happened on the show. <laughs> but no one can see. You know, it's always a small window, usually. This window's a big window. This guy's giving the city a show. That's what I'm saying. Yes, but you've never had a window like that, right? A little bit smaller than that. Oh, wow. Not a lot a, smaller than that. It's a big window. I'm saying. I'm telling you. So, <laughs> so Ira and Paul return from the gym. Oh, and- you know what I wrote? And I think this is true. What's that? Well, first off, I love the part where while she's dangling the cable, Jamie shouts up to Fran, did you cut your hair? And she shakes her head and goes, Gino. (laughs) I said this scene is a real precursor to Broad City. Yeah, okay. Didn't it feel like that that show? Yeah, sure. They were solving a weird urban problem. Right. But also like just being friends. I believe it. You know, and being themselves. There would have been more edibles involved had it been Broad City. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I Love Lucy had this dynamic as well between Lucy and Ethel. So, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I guess it's just one of the long 
long traditional line of well look there were two women on screen so that may remind you of a few things in the history of television but not a lot of things no but ha 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 point taken I'm very not, good I'm, I'm bravo not, russ I'm, not... I'm, I'm saying though <laughs> you're not wrong but I'm saying solving a problem that is not typically affiliated with female characters on TV. Yes. That's okay. the extra angle. Yes. That's my point. It's a valid point. That's, I thought, part of what made Broad City so exciting to people. We'd never seen female characters like this on TV before. Uh, yes. And I well, would say we um, have. Jamie and Fran. <laughs> in one scene so in 1994. So you're telling me that if you closed your eyes and you heard just the dialogue from this, you would be like, is that Abby and Alana? I mean, almost. Yeah. <laughs> On some level. Yes. Um, spiritually. Yes. Yes. You would be spiritually confused about which of them they are. So Paul and Ira return from the gym and Paul heads into the bedroom and <laughs> Jamie asks Ira to be enthusiastic. Where are you going? What? Uh, nothing. Go ahead. Be enthusiastic. All right. <laughs> There's a TV in the bedroom. Surprise. All right. I like that. He's very bad at figuring out when. <laughs> I love it. It's very, very funny. As Russ would say, that's a fun little bit of business. Oh, it is a fun bit of business. That's a, a lovely acting moment for Mr. John Pankow. And then we hear Paul's actual stance on things. I just don't like the fact that we agree on something. And the minute I'm out the door, you call the cable company. Okay, well, the truth is, I didn't and know wait a minute. You called the cable company? No, no, we're going to steal it like you. <laughs> it's airwaves. I could have hooked you up for free. Forget about it. Oh, come on, it. everybody does it. Well, not us. Why not? Because it's wrong. It's just wrong. If you want something, you buy it. And if not, then you live without it. You don't just take something. That's 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 why they have jails for just that kind of thing. Yeah, I got another. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's looking at me like I'm ready to say something because I seemed like I was, but I wasn't. Yeah. Let the record show. John took a sharp inhalation of breath. <laughs> oh. I'm very adept at picking up nonverbal cues, and John was going to say something. Well, I was, and then I didn't want to jump ahead. I was just going to say, I understand. It, uh, but as we'll see, because they watch the porn channel later. Yes, and it, they it's do. just so funny how so many specifics are consistent across TV shows and on NBC in the '90s. Like every thirty-something adult in New York was living the exact same life. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this the other day, like. I understand the idea of programming like, oh, this is our, you know, we have comedies on Thursday nights. But for a lot of years, all of the shows, not only were they comedies, but they were all based in New York. Right. Absolutely. That's something, isn't it? I mean, it's a great city. Sure it is. But there are other great cities. No, there aren't. <laughs> there are fine cities. That's where you're wrong, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> but there are not great cities. And even when they tried, they would always have to New Yorkify that city and misrepresent it, as they still do today. Sure. Yeah, that, I'm sure you're right. Take suddenly Susan. Remember San Francisco? Oh, San Francisco, New York. Uh huh. <laughs> Pawnee, Indiana, New York. Well, that's an exception. You're right. That's that's an anomaly. <laughs> but like the new girls in Chicago, right? 
I think so. What a hip urban city that is. Because when I visit, it is. Ooh, I don't want to get in a big controversy, though. Chicago's a lovely town. (laughs) 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 Okay, I'll be blunt. I'm not as obsessed with that city as everyone else. Sue me. I like Chicago a lot. It's fine. Good. (laughs) I'm glad you're willing to concede that. I'm not blown away, though. (laughs) So we cut to the bedroom. It is that night. Paul and Jamie are watching TV in bed. They're flipping through the channels. Jamie is working. She's wearing glasses. And as they're flipping through, they come across the sexy channel. Hey, what did you do? You ordered the blue channel? Wow. <laughs> Must it come with the package? Yeah. Do you think she's pretty? I think she's naked. <laughs> okay, you know that those aren't real. I don't care. <laughs> God, all right, all right. One second, please. All right. One second, please. Wow. Wow. Oh, good for them. (sighs) What are they called on Seinfeld? I don't know what. I don't know. The sexy channel is called something? Don't they? Well, like on this show, they call it the blue channel. Right. I feel like they call it something else. I don't know. Skinamax is always a popular thing to say about this sort of stuff. Oh, that came later. Yeah. That came when people really started to get a kick out of combining proper nouns with adjectives. Sure, sure. Well, not adjectives. You know what I mean. I do. (laughs) The portmanteauing of America. Yes, thank you. The portmanteauing. (laughs) Oh, you did a good one, Johnny. (laughs) I know I did. (laughs) That's a very good one. I'm right jealous of that. Particularly because <laughs> it's a portmanteau. I know it. Oh, levels, John. So and this gets all Jamie gonna be all hot. <laughs> this gets Jamie in the mood. She starts kissing Paul. And as this is happening, Paul notices the reception is a little bit fuzzy. I love and so this. he starts running. No, he it's runs not back fuzzy. And forth. Please. It- <laughs> what is it? I'm just saying. This is what I love about this moment. It's so specific to Paul. He notices that the color is a little off. Right. Because he's got an eye for film. That's true. He says the yellow's a little weird. That's a very important specific. It is. It really, you know. Yeah. It's very uh, in character for him. I agree. So Jamie starts kissing Paul. Reception is yellow. He runs back and forth between the bedroom and the living room, checking the TV making sure that the Benny Hills match between the two TVs. Yeah, have you watched that before? I have not. I watched a little when we as I was preparing. Yeah. Hey, I didn't know he was British. He sounded like an old American comedian to me. It does sound like American humor, but I did know that he was British, yes. B? Ugh. <laughs> yeah, not very funny. That did not age well. Well, there are some funny moments. Uh-huh. A, Jamie says, or they make a joke about Benny Hill, and she's like, it's a girl, a bench, and him, and that gets a big laugh. Right. And then he goes, there's no tricycle? And she goes, there's always a tricycle. Right. I can tell you, Russ, I watched three minutes of highlights, no tricycle. Mm-hmm. No tricycle. <laughs> Just a lot of women being the butts of jokes. Sure. Non-stop. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're hilarious. Yeah. it's It was described as burlesque humor on Wikipedia, which I would say that that sounds right. That sounds about right. Yeah, sure. They are funny jokes, but they're, uh, I guess uh, they don't age well, as you said. They're they, no. Inappropriate. I think that's fair to say. Benny Hill has not stood the test of time very well. And more nudity than I expected. Those Brits. Yes. 
They, they sneak it in. How do you know so much about Benny Hill if you've never seen it? I'm a student of comedy. Well, all right. Very impressive. Well, la-di-da. But yeah, so I like Murray running back and forth with Paul. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, he goes. He gets off the bed as Paul and Paul leaves, and they both are bouncing between rooms. It's very funny. That is fun. So Paul wants to call the cable company, and Jamie says that she'll do it instead because Jamie's covering for the fact that she's not paying for cable. Bingo. And Paul, at that point, is too tired to have sex. We cut to the elevator where Paul and Mr. Wicker have been waiting for three hours. It's a stakeout. Yeah, they're waiting for Mr. Delahanty, and he has not yet arrived. Um, Mr. Wicker leaves to go to the bathroom. Jamie gets on the elevator and uh, asks Paul to go to a certain floor. Yeah, like she's, she's looking down, and she just goes, 11, yeah. please. Yeah, and he says, you really got to start looking at service people more. And Paul reveals that he has called the cable guy to come and fix the cable. And then we have a very funny smash cut to Paul and Jamie rushing up to the roof to try to detach the cable, disconnect it. And Paul says, who raised you, Sacco and Vanzetti? <laughs> Jamie says, they weren't thieves, they were anarchists. <laughs> you don't get that on TV a lot. <laughs> you really don't. That's a great bit. I love a Sacco Vanzetti reference. I love all Sacco and Vanzetti references, I'll say. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> it was all I put on my AP history test. <laughs> you have no idea. It's the only thing I remembered. So whatever the question was, I always tied it to Sacco and Vanzetti. That's, are you being serious right now? Yeah. Like, I'd remember That's little things, but I always needed a little more details. And I'd always be like, for example, in the Sacco and Vanzetti trial. Because <laughs> there's many angles to that That's, case, you know? <laughs> sure. That's how I was in AP US history. My friends would always talk about. In the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18, which I cannot remember what it was, but I remember that. I think it was Article 1. That is very specific. This is what I'm saying. So they were like, you got to put it in your essay, man. You put that in your essay, it'll blow people away. And I was like, most of me knew that that was a joke, but also I was like, I don't know a lot about history. I can remember that. And it sounds (laughs) like it's pretty applicable. Wait, you wouldn't quote it? You just say Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18? No, I knew what it meant at the time. I just don't anymore. Uh, to make all laws, I think it's just the definition of what Congress does. To make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by the con- this Constitution and the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. See? See how smart you sound? Congress makes laws. <laughs> so That's yeah, our like- civics corner on Mad About Mad About You this week. <laughs> I definitely actually jammed that into my actual AP exam on which I received a two out of a possible five. Ouch. I did not get college credit. I got a three, so... dummy. <laughs> <laughs> also did not oh, count. Man. <laughs> but so I was the only Paul one that got Jay- the question about all in the family, right? Oh, my God. You're the best. So Paul and Jamie start pulling cable wires out from the box. Yep, because that's how it's set up. Yep. And we hear the tenants get very angry about this. Oh, let's take you 11, 11 up, and then four over is 11D. Must be this, right? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> okay, try 11 from the top. All right. Wait a second. How's that? Son of a... Oops. <laughs> now this I could listen to. If this was the whole episode, I would have been in heaven. You love an off-camera yell. I love an off, especially a New York off-camera yell. Yes, absolutely. Because it's always a little cartoony. 
Yes. Son hey, of a... Hey! Oh! <laughs> what happened? Delightful. They should have all just said, I'm walking here! <laughs> I'm walking here! I'm walking here. You know that's actually not in the movie? Are you sure? <laughs> no, nah, I was trying to trick you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do I have an outtake in my head? No, nah, I thought it would be fun a- to try and trick you. And it wasn't. <laughs> not fun. So the cable guy arrives. What do you know about the cable guy, John? He was played by Kevin Michael Richardson, who I wrote as maybe the most prolific voiceover artist I have ever looked up on IMDb in my life. Awesome. Give us the top three things. Okay. Well, he's like a character voiceover actor because he's been in like a million episodes of Family Guy, but he doesn't play one character. He's played Bill Cosby. Okay. He's played the Dog Nappers accomplice, Drill Sergeant, 81 episodes. Wow. The Simpsons, 40 episodes. Louis Armstrong, Bucacino's employee. Blah, this, that, or the other. You know, he just plays sure. a bunch of, he's just a voice. A voice guy. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the old one. Cool. Oh, no, not the old one, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the one from 2012. But still, still 62 episodes. Grill Ravager, Leather Ravager, this Ravager, that Ravager, Honey Badger Ravager. Boy, it sounds like a great show. <laughs> I mean, I have been scrolling for forever, and I'm only halfway through. Wow. It's unbelievable. And he did a bunch of video games like, oh, he was on a Herman's head. <laughs> oh, Andy R, three episodes? How about that? I don't Who remember do you play on Herman's head? Ew. The episode's called Sperm and Herman. Ugh. And he played the male nurse. Okay, never mind. But he also, oh, he's on the Jerry Lynn Arquette show. <laughs> cool. He was a voice on, oh, Andy was on Hey Arnold a little. So he worked with uh, the kid who played Ryan. He did. He was the voice on Mortal Kombat. Okay. And a few other classic video games. But I don't know what voice. Anyway, awesome. this guy's voice is a big deal. And I don't know if it's his acting or the writing, but this is the most uncomfortable scene I've ever watched. I'm mad about you. <laughs> Why did he say that? You can hear it in the audience when he catches them and they try to make up excuses and he goes, what's happened to this country? Sure. And the audience like starts to laugh and then they're confused because you're like, what? I feel like he didn't quite nail the part. I think that's part of it, but also like, what is the part? That's fair. And then when they try to bribe him, he refuses. So, you know, he's supposed to be like the noble cable guy. It's like they're relying so aggressive. It's like in their head, they're like, boy. This country hates cable people so much that when we show a cable guy who's not a monster from hell, the audience will eat it up. Maybe. But everyone's just like, okay. I think the delivery of what's happening to this country was- Is weird. Like, very- It sounded like he was going to go off on a tirade. Now, I don't want to go off on a rant here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought he was going to do a whole babe spiel. (laughs) I love Dennis Miller. I know you did. He's in a lot of hot water right now. I still love him. You still love him. That is unfortunate. (laughs) He's hysterical. Did you like his Michelle Wolf jokes? Were you offended by his Michelle Wolf jokes? Wait, did he actually release Michelle Wolf jokes? No, no, he didn't. So what do you mean? He he had three. He had three days to write him. Yeah, that was a very strange tweet. I didn't understand it. Yeah, it wasn't a smart thing for him to do. Well, I didn't know if that was a joke or not. What, by him? Yeah. Like a bad joke, because it didn't make sense, but... There's no way to interpret that as a joke. But there's also no way to interpret that as literal. 
because it's it it makes just as little sense literally. But it can't be and isn't a joke. He literally meant I'm gonna release some jokes in three days. I think he was trying to promote something or just like be like, oh man, I've got so-. yeah. I think it was like I've got something coming out on Wednesday, and when that thing comes out, I'm also going to give some Michelle Wolf jokes. Did he have a thing come out on Wednesday? I don't know if he did. I'm not sure what happened. So this but- is all just made up. Yeah. Yeah, it's all made up. I made things up on the spot. See how easy it was to say something on the spot? <laughs> Dennis Miller couldn't manage to do that. <laughs> yeah, but just think how much better what you said could have been if you'd taken the next three days to really if craft I made it. it Wednesday. <laughs> well, I'll, you know what? We'll punch in. I'll, I'll work for three days on what I could have said about the situation. <laughs> and we'll, pu- we'll punch it in now. <laughs> okay, Bubbo. <laughs> okay, babe. So anyway. His rants are great. You got to watch the old show. It's really phenomenal. The old show was great. He used to be very, very funny. He's just not anymore. It happens. Well, that's true, but I still love him. Okay, you can love him. I don't like watching him now, so I like his old show, though. Sure. Like, yeah, it doesn't now doesn't ruin the old for me. Good. I'm glad that you're able to do that. And I mean that genuinely. With him, I mean, because he didn't do anything disgusting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Please don't interpolate this into Bill Cosby and everyone else. No, 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 no. I read you loud and clear. Roman Polanski is your very favorite director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His movies are so boring. <laughs> so the cable guy cannot be bought. Jamie points out, it's not like we're the only ones who steal cable. I mean, look at this place. Two or three dozen people in this building alone. So the cable guy pulls the plug on everybody's cable. Ow, I poured hot and, wax on uh, myself. We cut to the... <laughs> and on my, on my recorder. It's fine. This is all your stupid idea. <laughs> I can't believe it took us so long for that to happen. I can't either. Is everything okay? Yeah, yeah. It felt fine. It didn't hurt at all. I I don't know what's wrong with my fingers. There you go. Oh, look, it's on fire. <laughs> yes. So now we go. Okay, let's describe this scene because I'm going to lose my mind. Great. So we go into the building and the entire building is calling Paul and Jamie to yell at them. How do they know it was them? I don't know. But they do. So see, my wife did. Yes, but she didn't mean to. You have a real dark side. (laughs) Well, we have officially now heard from the eighth floor. We all stop answering the phone. It makes no sense. Ah, I guess it doesn't. It definitely doesn't. At all. It makes no sense. And yet the next like seven minutes of the show or whatever, lean heavily. They rely on it. Yes. It makes no sense at all. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's no way that they can know. All this so we can get an episode of Friends because they didn't think we would just <laughs> buy it if the power went out like it does in the world. <laughs> now, now, easy, John. We haven't yet lost power. Let's not jump the gun here. Yeah, we, can't let, any, we can't let anybody know that they're going to lose power in this episode. <laughs> A lot of insane BS has to happen before that happens. Oh, my God. Gosh. So in that little clip, we heard Paul was completely bummed out to be right. Yes, this felt like Will and Grace to me for some reason. Interesting. I said it was very tropey. They don't do this on a show normally, but like this whole like self-aware kind of sitcom argument, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, oh, I wanted to argue. Why would you argue right. with me? Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah, that's fair. Come on. <laughs> I never really realized. I never thought about it that way. That nobody ever wants that to happen. Right. 
So then a kid arrives at the door, John. Hi, hi. Go on, Edison, ask the man. Why did you make paper go away? Excuse me? On the TV, he went away. Is he dead? It's for you, honey. <laughs> I just hope you're happy. Oh, okay, I'll put her through college. <laughs> This kid is great. Oh, and J- <laughs> does that include the Jamie response? Yes, I think so. Oh, that really funny. That's one of my favorite moments in the episode. I think I'll put it through college. I thought it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Jamie gets dark like that. Oh, man. These are some entitled people in the building. Well, you're right. That's another trope, but it doesn't bother me. Yeah. The New York mob that's put off by like having to. Their racket the being screwed up, yeah, is very fun to me. Like the free cookies, right? Doesn't Monica on Friends make cookies for the building and then they get mad when she stops baking them or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. like uh, you know, and they have no right. The unjustified ma angry mob in Manhattan sitcom culture is one of my favorite tropes. You'll forgive it. Forgive it. I'll embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> Daughters played by Aaron Trimble, who never worked again. And the mom was played by Liz Georges, who was the mm-hmm. script girl from Mr. Saturday Night, our favorite movie. Excellent. Featuring David Paymer, mm-hmm. brother of Steve Paymer. <laughs> yep. And this was weird. Maybe you can explain it. She was credited as having done one episode of The Simpsons where she played Maggie Simpson in 1995. Um, I can think... There were a couple of episodes where Maggie said something. Either that or sometimes I think there's just Oh, Maggie's the baby. um, Babbling? Yes. (laughs) I just, I figured it, I don't know. I figured it was one of the talking ones. (laughs) Because you got Marge, oh, Lisa. Marge, Lisa, Bart, Homer. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I didn't watch it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it was too dirty you for my watch household. It and you haven't lived in the United States of America in <laughs> 25 years. Yeah, all you people really got into that show for 20 years. <laughs> I oh felt I gosh. felt like well, I, I missed out, to be honest, a lot. Because when people quote it, it always makes me laugh. But then when I try to watch it, it, I'm bored. Oh, yeah, you can't watch the new episodes. Well, even the old, it's just like, you know, it's a cartoon. It's very, but, you know, it's very funny, but, you know. Yeah, it is. It's very funny. The Simpsons is a very funny show, I guess. Yeah, you guessed right. So she voiced the baby once. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, that's a fun little credit. Yeah. Anyway, Love it. so Mr. Wicker stops by, and he's got the tape of Mrs. Wicker, and the tape, of course, cuts out right before she says her line. Mm-hmm. That's tropey. And he knew it was going to happen. He just sort of brought yes. it over to guilt them. Yes. He's being that is uh that is harsh for Mr. Wicker. You could almost call it not like him. Sure, you could almost call it that. Out of character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, you hate this. <laughs> yeah, this one really took a downhill spiral. It was just a it, I didn't like this episode that much, I guess. Oh my gosh. There's some so good Jamie jokes. leaves there are good jokes. Jamie leaves to meet Ira for a business dinner. And Paul decides to join them because he's receiving threats of physical harm over the phone. 9J is going to beat the crap of, out of him. Yeah. Yeah. They go to Riffs. Ursula says, a lot of people are watching TV here because some blockhead got their cable disconnected. 
Like what? <laughs> so what, the whole neighborhood now? No, just the people from the building have come to riffs. Everyone is so desperate to watch. What, what is a Mike Tyson fighting that night? I don't know, but I do love the idea of they're watching TV here. I like just, yeah, any television. Right. People are like, <laughs> oh, wow, what am I going to do? You think that's NBC being like, you need to show people <laughs> desperately seeking out television. <laughs> yes, that was a network note. <laughs> people love television. We need to reinforce that. There's mob justice. People are, can we show cutaways of people banging on the doors of the neighboring apartment buildings and uh, <laughs> and homes saying, let me watch TV. <laughs> Frazier's on. <laughs> Ursula then says, those people over there want to not buy you a drink. Yep, because they know not only that Paul and Jamie are responsible for cutting the cable illegally, but also exactly what, what they look they like. Look like. <laughs> And word has gotten around to everyone except Ira, (laughs) which makes even less sense. There are a few holes in this episode, John. There sure are. Black holes, if you will. (laughs) Jamie is talking to Ira about a contest that she wants to have for the store. And Paul, as she's having this meeting, asks if he likes Trout Amandine. And she says no, because it has bones. So, yeah, he's a little boy who doesn't know what his favorite food is. Yeah, he's definitely not winning the Millwood game. That is very true. So he's being very distracting during the business meeting. And then Jamie decides to get into it with him. She says, just say it. You hate that I'm working from home. Paul says, no kidding. She says, just say you're mad instead of pretending that everything's okay. Paul says, excuse me. What did I say yesterday? Jamie says that you were mad. Paul says, what did I say the day before? Jamie, that you were mad. Paul says, what do I need, a billboard? (laughs) Jamie says, all right, don't get mad. (laughs) Pretty good. Everyone follow that. (laughs) Are you laughing at my recreation? Yeah. It went on so much longer than I expected. You lost me in the middle. Everybody got it. I'm sure they did. Yeah, it's pretty good. So then there there are spitballs being thrown at Paul. Yep. (laughs) You're so done with this episode. (laughs) I wish I was, but there's so much left. There is. uh, Yeah, we haven't gotten to the main (laughs) conflict of the episode yet. So Ira offers to reconnect their building with cable. And so we cut back to the roof and Ira says, in order to do it, all I need is a little piece of wire. Now, I don't know why that's all he needs in order to reconnect a billion different cable lines. Because he's MacGyver. Whoa. That's huge, John. Job well done. Jamie takes this opportunity to yank a huge wire, which causes a gigantic spark, mm-hmm. and the entire building goes dark. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you know how buildings are hooked up, mm-hmm. but everything's just basically plugged into one big socket, and then a wire comes out of that and runs yeah, to and- God knows where. Yeah, and that's on the roof. Yeah, just sort of sitting around. <laughs> Because, you know, New York's very temporal. There's there's no inclement weather. Oh, but don't worry. (laughs) We've only spent 22 minutes trying to justify something that happens all the time in the next episode of Friends. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So Ira tries to get the building to have its lights back. He throws a switch and the lights come back on. Then all of a sudden there's a gigantic spark and the entire city blacks out. Yeah, who knew? The hub was the roof of their building. 
Yeah. It's like the, yeah, the main transformer portal. from Manhattan. Yeah, it's the portal in Ghostbusters. It's the portal to Gozer. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Gozer. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't know that nerd stuff. <laughs> Is that one or two? One. Is it one in the toilet? What? In the portal in the, or in the fridge or something? Part of it is in the fridge. Oh. But the entire building is the portal. Oh, the gargoyles come to life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. And then they go to Tavern on the Green, which is where I would go. <laughs> come on, gargoyles. We're only in time for one night. <laughs> Tavern on the Green in the Rainbow Room. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. So we cut to the hallway in front of Paul and Jamie's apartment. Hal hands them a floppy disk. He says, here, I want you to have it. It was my novel. Now it's a coaster. So yeah, the British neighbor has had his work destroyed. Back up your work. Always Mm -hmm. back up your work. Harris Delahanty calls from the elevator. He is stuck between floors and everybody is mad at Jamie. They are yelling things at her. And Paul decides to take the blame, saying it wasn't her, it was me. It's a good husband. Good husband. Good spouse. Yes. They go inside, and Jamie says, I thought you were mad at me. And Paul says, well, that's my job, not theirs. Mm. So, yeah, he's taking the blame. He's taking the heat. And as he scolds her for doing what she has done and getting them trapped in this situation, she just keeps smiling, and he gets frustrated at her smiling at him. The tag for this episode, because we've reached the end of it, the tag is Al Roker. Good evening. I'm Al Roker reporting from NBC in New York. It seems the city of New York has been thrown into a mysterious blackout. Con Ed believes it was caused by either a power surge in a series of sensitive grid relays or some yuts trying to steal cable. Fortunately, New Yorkers can always be counted on in an emergency. Looters have asked for our patience. They say there are lots of stores and they'll get to everyone just as soon as possible. I'm Al Roker reporting from NBC in New York, filling in for Tom Brokaw who is stuck in the elevator. We haven't seen original recipe Al Roker in a while. That is true. I forgot about him in his bigger days. Did you know he wrote a mystery series? No, (laughs) I did not know that. I came across it at a Goodwill in Kentucky. Yeah? The first one's called The Morning Show Murders. Stop it! I, I know. It came out on September 7th, 2010. And the plot is, as famous for his popular cooking segment on Wake Up America as for his swank Manhattan bistro, Billy Blessing can add prime murder suspect to his impressive list of accomplishments. Because when one of the network's top honchos ends up dead, it's a poisoned serving of Blessing's Coke Avine. That's to blame. Billy knows he's been framed, but proving it won't be easy. Not with his perky co-host involved in a brass knuckles contract negotiation, a Mossad agent about to tell all on the air, and a ruthless international assassin arriving in the Big Apple. Now, Billy isn't so much concerned about staying alive in the ratings as just staying alive. For the closer Billy comes to uncovering an international conspiracy, the closer he comes to being canceled. Da-da-da. Permanently. I cannot wait to read. We're reading this, John. There's also the Midnight Show Murders and the Talk Show Murders. I love it. Also... It sounds like a joke. They they have very good jacket quotes. And I think they're actually genuinely very funny mysteries that are like borderline satirical. 
I'm pretty psyched to check this out. I might actually have to read one of these. James Patterson said, this is a funny, funny, very funny mystery that really gallops along. <laughs> James Patterson's commercials make me so happy. The, yeah, I just saw one last night. Uh, so, yeah, don't miss it. I will not. I mean, he co-wrote these great. with a guy named Dick Locht- Lochte. But, uh, you know. Funny. Well, yeah. Rise Guys and Rise Gals, we have made it to the end of this episode and we've done it together. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online. You can tweet at us at madaboutyoupod. We've got a Facebook page. We're there. You can email us at madaboutyoupod.g. Uh, say it, John. Why can't I think about how these things go? Because that at really threw you. I said at at first. Yeah. You can email us at madaboutyoupod. and boom goes the dynamite you can email us at madaboutyoupod at gmail.com nailed it you know what they say about saying you know what they say about saying email addresses out loud third time's a charm (laughs) we love hearing from you everywhere in all forms we're going to be celebrating international mad about you month all month long Absolutely. We're probably going to have a fun little um, mini-sode for you. But we'll see. We'll see. Something fun should be coming up soon, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we have One to. One way or the other. <laughs> now we have to. Yeah. Now it's a lot of pressure. We have to. We have to be fun. We have to be fun. Rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher everywhere. Yeah. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn. It really helps us out. And we love hearing from you on there, too. And I think it must. It helps, right? We keep getting some new listeners, which is nice. It's still growing. It does help. You look at the yes, stats in there on their way up. These are some of the biggest yes. numbers of any podcast that's ever actually been on the air before. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh, uh, highly prestigious. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. We thank you very much for listening. We have a theme song. It goes like this. It's by Mr. John D. Ivy. Thank you so much, John. Our logo is by Mr. Nathan Diffie. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan, D-I-F-F-E-E. Thank you, Nathan. And our sound was mixed by Mr. Vuk Yovanovich. Thank you, Vuk. Wonderful. John, my goodness, the lights are back on. Mine aren't. The switch is (laughs) too far away. They'll probably get to you soon. These things tend to come up. (laughs) Up from the south. Uh, Well, let's do it again next week. Or soon. Yeah, it's breakfast Thursday next week. On one of the episodes in four hours of TV, someone eats breakfast. (laughs) I love that gimmick because I love breakfast. This has been Mad About Mad About You. I'm Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. And And this this is is what what we're we're saying. saying.